Well, good morning. Greetings to you from Good Samaritan's Home Ministries in Rajamundri, India. I spoke with Pastor Joseph on Friday, and he sends his greetings to all of you. He so enjoyed his trip here in September. Well, in your bulletins, you have an update from GSH Ministries, and I'll let you read that on your own time. And I'm going to hit some of the highlights for us this morning. So in the picture that you see up there, um, December is a very busy month for Pastor Joseph, and he preaches and teaches every day in a different venue um, to audiences that are both Christian and non-Christian. So please pray for those that heard the gospel during that time that there would be fruit born in their lives. 17 people were recently baptized, and so please pray for them. As when they choose to be baptized, they choose to then be open to persecution from their families and from others. The season of Easter is a busy time for Jesus Prayer House Church. <clears throat> Every night during the 40 days, they gather to fast and to pray and to listen to preaching and teaching from Pastor Joseph. And this is the Easter celebration this year, and a 1,000 people attended. This is the Good Samaritan's Home School, and the dining room that you have all been a part of is on the left there. You'll see the, well, I don't know if it's on your left. Yep. The stairs going up into the new dining hall, and the construction project we are working on right now is represented on that second story, and that is a new dormitory for the children. The budget is, is, is $71,000, and we have about half of it raised, so please be praying for the other half that that would come in soon. Last September, funds were donated for a widow's sh shelter in Badlamur, which is where our medical ministry is, and the property has just been purchased, and they are moving ahead with that construction. That will not only just be the widow's shelter, but it will also have a two-room medical dispensary there as well. For years, Jesus Prayer House Church has been praying for the right timing and funds to build a new church. And uh, April 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, they fasted and prayed. And April 5th, they had this ceremony for the groundbreaking prayer and anointing. Please be praying for the government approval to actually start the construction because that has gone much slower than anticipated and they have not yet started the actual construction. This is the new dining room and the dining hall where all the children at the school are now eating inside. Those are GSH children there on the left. And um, please pray for the school. All the children right now are going through their final exams. Then they will have a break. And then they will return to school in June. There are nearly 300 students that are there right now. And Joseph is asking for prayer that there would be 50 more that would be signed up for the next school year. You have another flyer in your bulletin, and it looks like this. It has India at the top and number 11. In January, we handed out the World Watch List, which is the top 50 persecuted nations in the world. And last year, India was 15, and this year, unfortunately, their persecution has increased, and now they are number 11. There's some information there on the flyer for you to read, but just highlights of it are that the... Um, they are ranked according to violence and then also according to the pressure that they receive in those different areas, church and national and community life, as well as family life and private life. 
So please be praying for our brothers and sisters um, in the persecuted church in India. Also, down at the bottom, there is a little note there that reminds us that the Hindu extremists are wanting to um, eradicate Christianity from India within three years. So please be praying for the protection of our persecuted brothers and sisters. When I spoke to Brother Joseph about it, he said that there is much persecution in the north. Where he is in the south, there is some. And where he is in Rajamundri, he has not experienced much. But however, he is asking for prayer for next week as he goes out on another three-day gospel uh, meeting, and he is traveling a far distance to do that. And so he's asking for prayer for that as he and his team go out that they would be able to preach and to share the word very sensitively in that area. Also, Sister Susan Waller just returned from her trip to India. She was in the north, and she is asking for prayer for the 20 non-believers that she was able to share the gospel with, as well as a, um, a Christian that she met that is undergoing persecution, as well as the New Delhi small church that she attended. She'll be at the table in the back with more stories if you'd like to contact her there. Please be praying for Pastor Joseph and his wife, Samya, his parents, Helen and Prava, Nissi and Joanna, his children, as they are in the front lines every day. Joseph's church is called Jesus Prayer House, and um, everything they do is just bathed in prayer, which is, I think, why we see so many amazing things happening, and it's kind of a focus for our church, and so uh, we get to pray together now, so let's pray. Father, we are just so thankful for gathering us here as a church family, and just a privilege of being able to be here, Lord, and just um, worship you together, Lord. And as we lift these things up, Lord, we just thank you that you hear our prayers, Lord. And just now as we pray for the uh, children's and widows' homes, Lord. Father, we just lift up the upcoming gospel meetings, Lord, um, both in that area and in the outreaching areas, Lord. Father, we come to you and pray for those meetings, Lord, on the 25th through the 27th of this month, Lord. We don't have to wait for those dates, but we, we pray now and let us continue this week to lift those up that will be attending those meetings. We pray for those that will be speaking and sharing the gospel. Protect them wherever they might be, Father. Protect them from the 
Lord, and just for the persecution in India, Lord, that you would just be there, Lord, we pray for this now. Father, we just are just thankful that we get to gather, Lord, and, and we get to hear about our brothers and sisters across the world, Lord, specifically in India, Lord. Allow us just to be praying for them, encouraging them in any way we can, Lord, and just, again, allow us to be thankful just for the family you've given us here, Lord, and the salt and light we get to be here in Mount Shasta and the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. We're in Matthew chapter 19, if you would turn there with me, Matthew 19. <clears throat> it's good to see you. Um, I am ill again. My, I, I swear my kids in my home, it's like a Petri dish there. 
but uh, I, I wanted to hug and shake your hands so badly. I have resisted for your benefit, your benefit, my benefit would have been to hug you and to love you and to shake your hand. So I'm sorry I missed you um, today. And, and my family and I get to go on a vacation for about two weeks. So hopefully if you keep praying for us that we get better and uh, that we are well during vacation, that would be a plus for us as well. So just know we uh, know that I I have missed saying hi to you personally today, and hope you are well. Matthew 19 is where we're going to be today. We're going to be looking at the the passage about the rich young ruler, and I I don't know why I had it in my mind, but I, I commented earlier this morning that uh, in the first service that this was the parable of the rich young ruler, and it was pointed out that this was not a parable. This was actually just a story uh, in in Matthew, and it's a passage about the rich young ruler. And through this passage, what we're going to see is is Jesus lets us lets us peer into the heart, and, uh, and, and it really exposes the heart for us. So as we look at this, this story, this passage, uh, you and I are going to be kind of put to the test, and, I, and I, I think that's a really good thing because as we come here as the body of Christ, as, as many that are here are, are part of the body of Christ, have believed the gospel and are, are uh, redeemed by Jesus, and, and some are not, and that's, that's okay, that's understandable, but as we come here today, uh, God wants to expose the heart. So we can come and we can get ready. I don't know what your, what your regiment's like on Sunday mornings at home. I know what mine is at times with kids or my wife's after I leave because I have to be here early. But it, it gets kind of hectic sometimes. We want to make sure we, we put on a certain front and put on a certain face and put on a certain maybe attire that we look, look a certain way and, and so that we can kind of be accepted. And that's kind of the way our society works, isn't it? That it's, it's about it being accepted. And, and when Jesus starts talking about these, these deep things, uh, deep, deep issues of Scripture, deep issues of, of sin in our life, deep issues of, of a need for redemption, what he's talking more specifically about is the heart. He goes deeper than the surface level, and he goes to the heart. So we're going to see that today in this passage. And it's amazing, you know, we, we see, um, and maybe you'll see yourself in that. Maybe you'll see yourself in that place of, like, I, I really need God to, to really test my heart, really to poke and prod there so I can, I can have him expose some stuff, Right? Because this is where it's going to start. This is, this is what's going to, to, to benefit you, the poking and prodding of the heart. And, and maybe you can just relate because you've been there before. You've been there in a place where, where God has dealt with my heart. He has wrecked my heart. He has, he has laid me out, and I, I am just nothing without him, and now I'm everything because of him. And you can relate to that as well. And, and, we can, and because we know that, because God has dealt with our heart and he has, he has helped us see him more clearly, we can then praise him all the more. Amen? Like there's a praise that should come out of us, uh, a people of God who have been wrecked and ruined by God and have been confronted by, about our sin, and God has filled us with his righteousness because he's an amazing God. There, there's a praise that comes from that. So there's kind of two, two categories of people today. Someone who, who maybe God's stirring in your heart today and, and drawing you closer to him, drawing you towards him. And, and I want you to be able to say, God, analyze my heart, expose my heart. Don't end up like the rich young, young ruler we'll see today. Okay, we know some people. You know, I, and I've had plenty of conversations uh, in life where you have some people who who are, have a genuine interest, right? There's there's people who have a genuine interest in spiritual things or about the things of God or even the things of Jesus. There's a genuineness there that seems like, yeah, I really want this. I'm really hungry for this. I want to know more. Um, I want to get in a discussion or I want to at least listen on the side on the side. And and you see a genuineness and maybe you even see <clears throat> a confession of faith. Like someone says, I I believe. I want I want this. I, I want. I'm all in. And then a few weeks go by, a few, maybe a month or two goes by, and you see someone kind of just kind of fade into the background, and they kind of like, eh, it's not really my thing. You don't see the, the proof in, in the change and the transformation uh, inside their life. See, some people show an interest in the gospel, and they make a confession of faith, but, but the genuineness of that decision 
will be seen in the fruit of a changed life. And this is important for you and I to understand. It's important for you to understand because if you think you have been changed by Jesus and your life hasn't changed because of Jesus, you haven't been changed by Jesus. Amen? When Jesus changes us, he changes us. Right? The evidence is a changed life, the fruit of a changed life, a life that's forsaken itself. I, I, it's, I'm no longer mine, right? I'm Christ. And I've exchanged that life for the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. Right? I've crucified myself with Christ, right? Buried myself. And I've risen to newness of life with Christ. I'm a new creation. And I, I live for Jesus. And the proof, it says, you know, the, the old saying, the proof is in the pudding. The proof of, of transformation, the proof of redemption, of, of salvation inside, the proof of a heart being changed is external. But the proof is not what saves you. I need us to understand that the proof, the evidence of a changed heart is not what changed your heart. It shows that your heart is changed and it shows your heart has been changed by a living God. But if you say on one hand that you confess Christ as Lord, but on the other hand you have no desire to to be in the word of God and eating it up like a source of food for you, if you have no desire to be in the fellowship of God's people and, and, and shoulder, rubbing elbows and shoulder, and shoulder to shoulder with people who say they love Jesus and want to grow together and point you towards Jesus, if you have no desire for that fellowship or no, no desire to have an open and honest prayer life, you likely have no real relationship with Christ and are not found in Christ because the proof is in the pudding, because we will see a change in our life because of what Jesus has changed in us. There's evidence about that. Yes, there can be genuineness. Yes, there can be uh, an interest in spiritual things. Yes, you can go forward and say, I, I, I want, I'm hungry for God. I'm hungry to know more. But unless he becomes that treasure, that, that, that fount of living water that you could not live without, nothing will change. My interests can change, right? My hobbies can change. What, I, what kind of TV shows I like can change. But a genuine interest, if we, if we let Jesus expose the heart of who we really are, will lead us into a believing, saving faith in Jesus Christ. Because he is the one drawing our heart. He is the one exposing our heart. So here's what I would say. Let your heart be exposed. I know we don't like that. I know that's difficult. I know it's, especially when we're vulnerable people, we're private people, we don't, we don't want our heart to be exposed. We don't want to be seen for who we really are. But let your heart be exposed because Jesus knows it anyway. He knows it anyway. What we've been saying in the last few weeks as we've covered Galatians and, and what we've been indicating in that is that this is not a question of right and wrong or morality or even surface level stuff. This is a question about what you treasure the most. What do you treasure the most? Okay. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 19 today, beginning at verse 16. Let's go ahead and pray and then we'll, we'll get to the scriptures. Father, we're thankful for your love and your grace. We're thankful that you've given us a place to, to worship, God, to express the love we have for you, to overflow with that. God, I pray that as we go to your word today that you would help teach us, guide us into truth. God, you would change us and challenge us to become more obedient followers of Christ, that we would, we would continue to leave as transformed people because of Jesus. We thank you for him. Expose our heart now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Matthew chapter 19. We're going to look at 16 through 22. 
<clears throat> it said, just then someone came up and asked him, teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? He said to him, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he asked him. Jesus answered, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. I have kept all these, the young man told him. What do I still lack? If you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, go sell your belongings and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard that command, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. So we're going to unpack this text today and, uh, and just let God expose our hearts. So first up, number one is this. Jesus knows the motives of the heart. Jesus knows the motives of the heart. This is what he's all about and, and constantly wanting to go there. I think as a people, we, we love to make sure people think a certain way about us. And we, we try to make them think that way based on a lot of evidence that's external. Right now, if we get to know someone long enough, you get to understand the internal, don't you? You get side by side for long enough, you know really who that person is. But on a superficial level, we, we are so good at being externally based. And, and this young man was no different than that. This young man and, and all the Pharisees that were around him and all the other religious teachers, all of the people who were, who were pr- proud about their own heritage, were all about the external. And Jesus constantly was rebuking them, talking about the internal. You need to look at your heart. These people come near to me with their lips and their deeds, but, but their hearts are far from me, he says. He wants their heart. And Jesus knows the motives of the heart. It says in 16 and 17, it says, Then someone came up to him and asked him, Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? He asked this question back. He says, why do you ask me about what is good? So he's, he's trying to start to expose the heart a little bit here. He said to him, there's only one who is, who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Now, I want you to understand the man's posture. This, this uh, is also echoed in, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. And what it says in Mark 10 about this man, it says, as he was setting out on a journey, that is Jesus, a man ran up to him, knelt down before him, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So we're kind of seeing the bigger picture now, right? When we talk about the Gospels, uh, we use this thing I call the additive principle, it's not that they're con- contradicting what happened. It's that, that if you add them together, they tell the full story or give you the full picture of what was going on. So this man came up to Jesus, kind of g- grabbing onto him, kneeling down in a humble posture. Right There's, the, there's that genuineness we're talking about. People can, can come and, and have a genuine attitude and say, I, I really genuinely want to know. But sometimes their genuineness is more to be affirmed. They want to be affirmed. You see, Jesus said, go and keep the commandments. But he knew, and we just went through Galatians, right? He knew that the commandments would not bring life because he also knew no one is good, right? No one is good. And he said that to him. He said, why do you, why do you ask this question about what is good? And in one of the texts in Mark, he says, good teacher, right? He, he knows that Jesus is the good teacher. He's like, right, there's only one that's good. And it ain't you. You're not good. What can I do? What, what more good can you do? There's no good. If you think you can do good, then just go keep the commandments. Carry on. But Jesus knew better. Jesus knows that you can't just keep the commandments and live. You could if you could do it perfectly, right? The requirement to get to heaven is perfection. You have to perfectly keep all the commandments. How many of us are there? None of us, right? None of us. None of us can fully, perfectly keep all of God's law. 
We've all fallen short of that. We, we know that. So, so Jesus isn't saying, oh, yeah, just go, go and do better now. He's trying to understand and get a response out of this man and kind of, kind of poke and prod the heart. What do you think this means, he said, he's saying? <coughs> Excuse me. He's looking for a genuine response from the heart in this statement. And, and there's two responses that, two directions this can go. Jesus says, keep the commandments. Why are you asking me about what's good? Just go keep the commandments. Basically saying, you, you know this. You know what you should be doing. You're, he, some, some would say he's, he's a, probably a, a teacher of the law in some sense or a ruler in the temple, a, young, a rich young man. And, and uh, he's coming up asking these questions of Jesus. He knows the answers to them. But there's two, two ways this will go. If you want to give, have life, keep the commandments. Now, for you and I who hear that, if I was to tell you that, or if Jesus was here and he would tell us that, most of us would fall down on our face in humility saying, God, there's no way. There's no way I can do that. There's no way I can accomplish that. There's no way I can keep God's commandments and laws. I'm so far from that. I'm so, I'm so bad. Right? That's one response. That's the humble response. That's the one that we should have to God. When we look at God and say, I, I can't keep your commandments. I'm nothing. I'm worthless. I can't do this. The other is a proud response. Saying, man, I've, I've, I think I've done that. I'm a good person. I think I've done that. I, I can do this. It's okay. I'll, I'll, try, I'll try better. Get, give me more. Is there something I'm missing here? Right? And, and it's this initial genuineness, but really he's looking for an affirmation rather than transformation is what we're finding. I, I, I liken this to um, my kids and their puppy dog eyes. Right? You know what puppy dog eyes are? Right? You, you, you give your children, and they come to you, and they, and they obviously want something. They want something, right? Now, they have some kind of affection for you because you can give it. There's some kind of a genuineness there. But they'll sit on your lap, they'll come up next to you, and, and my daughter just kind of tilts her head down, right, and just kind of look at me, and she'll just bat her eyes. And look, you know, she just she wants to peer into my soul and touch my heart because she knows she can. But she wants something, and my son is starting to do that too, Right? Daddy, please. You know, it's like, no, you can't do that. You can't. I'm not looking. I'm not looking. It doesn't have an effect on me. Right? Puppy dog eyes. There's this genuineness there that they, they do want something. They do want to connect in some level with me. But what they're looking for is, is really what they want, not what I have for them. Does that make, make sense? They know I can give them what they want, but it may not be what I have for them. And this young man goes to Jesus in the same way. And Jesus knew this man's heart, and he knew he wasn't really ready to believe. He was only looking for affirmation, not transformation. He was looking for affirmation and not transformation. He wanted a gold star. He wanted a attaboy, good job, way to go. You're doing such a good job. Here's, here's some more. Keep, keep doing these things, and you'll, you'll even be better. He longed for a blessing from God, and he didn't long for what God could give him himself. And that's the difference. You see, when we talk about a heart issue, we talk about God ready to expose your heart right now today. You shouldn't be here for an affirmation. You should be here because he can, he can do everything to transform you and to change you into someone different than you were, to make you a new creation. It's about new creation. The scripture says all that matters is the new creation. It's not about being affirmed in your goodness and, and people like that. You know, when, when he has this posture of humility before God, uh, before, before Jesus there, and he, he, says, he says, what must I do, right? He says, good teacher. He calls him good. And, and he is the only one good. And under, understand, listen, a lot of people think they're good. 
And, what, and we, we even use that too. Oh, yeah, he's a good guy. You should go see him. He, oh, yeah, that's a good, good recommendation. Go check that person out. This, God says this. Jesus says this, right? God in the flesh says, no one is good but one. No one is good but Jesus. So you and I really have, have nowhere to go. There's no good in us compared to Jesus. There's no, nothing good except for Jesus. So that's, that's where our hope has to go. That's where our, our eyes should go instead of to ourselves. Because this young, young rich man, he came up and said, oh, yeah, I, I'm good, but how, how can I be better, more good, gooder? She says, no, it, it's not about that. I, there's only one that's good. If you want to be good, just keep the commandments. But that's not going to bring life, real life, because you've already broken them. And what does that lead to? It's a self-righteousness. Number two, self-righteousness will never prevail. Self-righteousness will never prevail. Look at verses 18 to 20. So, so here, he says, keep the commandments. And then, look what he says. Which ones? Right? It's like that sneaky question. Well, which, which ones? Specifically, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Which ones? He asked. And Jesus answered, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, and he says, I've kept all of these. The young man said, what do I still lack? And Jesus didn't give all of the commandments there, did he? He gave like the second half of the Ten Commandments. So he didn't even deal with the ones about idolatry and forsaking God and using God's name in vain. He didn't use any, anything about relationship with God. He just used them in relation to man. And they're hard, hard cold facts. You know, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. He's, he's almost saying, throwing the kid a bone. Like, yeah, I, these are easy ones, but even the easy ones you've messed up on. Even the easy ones. I can give you the list of easy ones, and you cannot live up to even the easy ones. Of course, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, right, before this passage in chapter 5, or what does he say? Or five, six, and seven in, in Matthew? He says, if you've if you looked lustfully after a woman, you've committed adultery. Right? If you've said to your brother, Rocker, I hate you in your heart, you've already committed, a, committed murder. It's pretty easy for us to not add up to the law. It's pretty, it's pretty easy for us to murder someone in our heart or to commit adultery in our heart through lustful thoughts. And Jesus throws it back at him and says, here's, here's the list. He wants this list. Which ones? Which ones, Jesus? Which ones? In some way, this young man thought he had kept the law perfectly. He wasn't thinking about lust or about hatred. He just thought, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't murdered someone. I'm not a thief. He didn't, wasn't thinking about the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue was bringing your heart before the Father and saying, this is yours. I want what you want to give me. You know, my kids, uh, my daughter, especially now, she'll get a little frustrated we have, we have, of course, rules and chores and, and things for our kids that they should start doing and making sure they're, they're on top of and to learn responsibility, personal responsibility. But it's not just about keeping the rules. It's about understanding how our family operates and who we are to honor. And, and there have been times my, my daughter's got frustrated because I just I give her some general terms like, why don't you go and, and, and go to your room and clean your room? What do you want me to do? I, well, I just I want, you to, I want you to do what you think you want me, what I want you to do. I want you to go in there and, 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 and make, a, make a big surprise for Daddy. And she's done that before. She's gone in and, like, I'm talking spick and span. As a four-year-old, put everything in its place, made it look awesome. She's come out to the living room and drug her mom and me in there, like, look, 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 look what I've done. I wanted to surprise you. And how excited I am to see that and to hear that because she wanted to surprise us. She wanted to honor us as parents. But then there are days I say, well, just, well, just go in there and surprise us. Daddy, Daddy, just tell me what you want me to do. 
Just tell me what you want me to do. And that's exactly what this rich young ruler was doing. Jesus, I'll shape up. I'll do whatever you want. Just tell me what you want me to do. Tell me who I should be. And the daddy's just like, I just want you to love me and I want you to honor me and I want you to, to obey because you love me. I don't want to give you this big list of rules. That's not what it's about. I want you to treasure me and the relationship you have with me. And, and he, he understood. What do I still lack? You know, he understood. He lacked something. He's like, maybe there's a law I'm unaware of or something, a rule I could do to achieve eternal life. But it simply didn't occur to him that he had fallen short in every way of obeying his Father in heaven from the heart. It's not about doing things, doing a list. It's about obeying from the heart. And I think one of sin's greatest curses, you know, sin is entered the world, death is entered the world. But one of sin's greatest curses is the spiritual blindness and the disregard that it produces. People just don't even see that they are lost. They don't even see that they have sinned and fallen short. They don't even see that they are trying their hardest to measure up to something that they will never, ever be able to measure up to. People are blind to that. You'll have conversations with people, I will too, with people down, downtown that basically, I'm a good person. They think, I'm, a, I'm just a good person. That, I mean, I'm not this person. I'm not like that person. I'm doing great. And they measure themselves against others and think that they are good. Again, one of sin's greatest curses is the spiritual blindness that we compare ourselves to each other instead of comparing ourselves to God. And we have fallen so far away from God. It's, it's great. when uh, There's a comparison I use once in a while. You, talk, you drive by a, a, a field with a bunch of sheep in it. Wow, those sheep are white. They're really pretty, really, really pretty sheep, right? And then it's different the next day because it snowed in the field. And you drive by now and you see what pure white snow looks like, and those sheep are dirty, mangy sheep. And that's what we are, these dirty, mangy sheep. We aren't, we aren't as pure as we think we are. The rich man just wanted Jesus to tell him, what, what do I do? And he's like, I want you just to love me. He wanted to know what good things he should do, but he did not want to know the one who was truly good. He thought his own obedience to the law counted as his treasure. <coughs> he was adding everything <clears throat> to himself. I'm, I'm going to keep the law. I'm going to do good. I'm going to be a good person. I've got the status. I've got the resume that looks great. Uh, it's just more and more treasure for myself. I'm piling it on. Look how good I am. And he made himself his own treasure. And in that pursuit of more good or becoming more, more treasure for yourself, we get lost in our own ability and our own achievements. And we never stop long enough to realize how sinfully bankrupt we really are. You see, we can add treasure upon treasure upon treasure to ourselves, and we might look great across society's uh, like comparisons. But when we take that treasure and we stand next to God, we have to file bankruptcy because there's nothing of value left there. There's nothing of worth that God would accept from us. Righteousness will never, self-righteousness will never, ever prevail. That leads us to number three. Following Jesus, it means coming to him empty. It means coming to him empty. And that, that's this idea of repentance, not idea. This is this doctrine of repentance. 
The idea of coming to him empty is, is what I'm doing. I'm leaving myself behind. I'm leaving whatever I thought was a value behind. I'm counting it as nothing. I'm forsaking it. I'm letting myself be crucified with Christ because it's no longer I that lives or anything good about me, but it's Christ that lives in me. Following Jesus means coming to him empty. So Jesus continues on, right, in verse 21. He, he's, he's poking at this guy's heart. He's really getting in there deep. He's making him be exposed. He says this, if you want to be perfect, and that word perfect means complete or saved, basically saved. If you want to be rescued, redeemed, Jesus said to him, go sell your belongings and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. If you want to be perfect, Jesus said, go and sell your belongings and give to the poor. So he says, let's test your heart. Let's expose the true motives. Let's expose who you really are and who is your treasure or what is your treasure. He just wanted Jesus to tell him, what what should I do? What should I do? Jesus says, I have to test your heart. Go and count everything as a loss. Go and get rid of everything. Go and sell what you have. Give to the poor. Go, Go get rid of whatever made you who you are today and come back to me empty and then you can follow me. Because if you're not empty, I can't fill you. And if I can't fill you, you can't follow me because you don't treasure me. Coming to Jesus empty means we must be excited to lose everything in order to gain everything in him. That's the joy we have. We, we count it a joy to lose everything in order to gain everything in Christ. I want to read a passage again from Matthew 13, 44. I read it a few weeks ago. It said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure Buried in a field, and, and a man found uh, that, he fa- that he found and reburied. Then in his joy, see there's joy in this emptiness, there's joy in this pursuing everything else as a loss. In his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. See, we come empty with nothing but a joy in the Lord, and we find everything in him. And this rich young ruler wanted to keep and hold on to everything. He didn't want to be empty. And here's, here's where I would encourage you and challenge you because this story doesn't go so well for the rich young ruler. But for you and I today, Jesus is ready for us to come empty. He's ready for us to, to say he's the greatest treasure we could ever have. He's ready for us to embrace him as a father and just long to do whatever he wants us to do. He's ready for that. He's ready to forgive. He's ready to restore and to fix what was broken. But he's asking you in your heart, are you ready? Are you ready to lay yourself down? Are you ready to come to me empty? Broken is fine. But are you ready to come empty? So I can fill you up. Because here's where, here's where it gets hard. Number four. Some think the cost is too high. Some think the cost is too high. That kind of vulnerability, nope, it's not for me. I don't want to be exposed. I don't want to be exposed anymore. That kind of losing my life, oh, nope, it'll break relationships. My family will be strained. My, my marriage will end. I, nope, I don't want to go there. Nope, I'm not going to Jesus. Nope, if I, if I go to Jesus, I, he's going to ask me to 
to reprioritize my spending habits. And I can't do that. I'm too fond of the credit cards I have in my wallet. Whatever it is. Something the cost is too high. <coughs> Excuse me. Look at verse 22. When the young man heard that command, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Could read, he went away grieving because many possessions had him. His stuff, his status, his achievements, whatever they might have been, they were what defined him. That's where he found his hope and his identity. And he wanted more of that. And Jesus said, what you really need is more of me. His heart wasn't ready to let go and to embrace the fountain of living water, living water, the fountain of life in Jesus. And you know, I I want us to turn from here, turn to Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. I saw this this week as I was doing devotion times and and this came across and I I I thought it was profound. We talk about wanting to do good. Just tell me, Jesus, what do you want me to do? How should I look? How should I behave? What, what, should, what should happen next? I don't want to do these things that are wrong against you. I don't want to do those evil things. Right? I want to keep the law. I want to keep, keep your commands. But in Jeremiah, in chapter 2, verse 13, there's, there's something that, that he points out that is, is much more evil than just murder or stealing or committing adultery. Look at verse 13, chapter 2, verse 13. For my people have committed a double evil. It's twice as bad. Double evil. It says this. They have what? Abandoned me, the fountain of living water. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living water. Number two, it says, they have dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot even hold water. See, that's the evil part of this. The, the, the man came to Jesus saying, I, I don't want to be evil. I want to be good. Jesus said, you can't be good. Only God is good. If you want to really be good, if you want to be good with me, you've got to give up everything and come to me and follow me then. Well, that's not what I wanted to hear. I, I'm going to go away. I, I don't want to come empty to you because what you have to offer, that's kind of scary. I have to give up everything I had. I, Jesus, you don't know how, how long it took me to dig that well on my own. I've got some pretty good water coming out of there. This is, this is my lifeblood. This is where, I, this is where, where it all stops for me. I can't, I can't give that up. And Jesus says, hello, I'm the fountain of living water. With me, you'll never run dry. You'll never have to worry again. That's a broken cistern. That stuff's muddy. That's, you got to boil that. That's not what you want. But he walked away in despair because that's what owned him. That's where his heart landed. See, the evil is, is obviously, and from this kind of evil, from disregarding and abandoning God, from digging our own wells and going to our own, our own place, we certainly, we certainly will lead to all kinds of other evil, murder or stealing, whatever else. But if you and I would, would come and say, I'm not going to abandon God, I'm going I'm to embrace him. I'm going to embrace him as the treasure that he is. I'm going to embrace him as the fountain of living water that he is. I'm going to let him control who I am. Everything then would, would flow out of me that would be of him. And my life would look the way it should look. If I, want to, if I want to know, just tell me what to do, Jesus. Just latch on. Drink me up, is what he's saying. Drink me up. Latch on to me, and I will fill you up. And when, you, when I fill you up, then you'll know what I want you to do. Then you'll know. And it becomes evidence of a transformed heart. 
and not just an external moment-by-moment decision, but a heart that's yielded to the Almighty God. And I think there's, there's, again, two types of people here with this. For some, you haven't believed the gospel. You haven't embraced the Redeemer in Jesus Christ. And you are like this rich young man, digging your own well, trying as hard as you can to be good, to be successful, to, to make, make ends meet, to be responsible. But you know there's a genuineness in you at some place in, in you that you know there's something lacking. What do I lack? And what Jesus is saying is you lack everything in him. You've got to stop digging that other well. Put that shovel away. You've got to run to Jesus and embrace him as the fountain of living water that he is. You believe in him. You trust in him in faith that he, he can cleanse, that he can forgive, that he can redeem and restore what was broken and what needed to be fixed. And then for you and I who, who have trusted Christ, who have, who have believed the gospel, it, it gets murky sometimes, doesn't it? We, we tend to run back to that old well. We tend to bring out that shovel again and start digging our own, our own pit. And God's like, I'm right here. Don't, don't just do that to do it. Do it because you, you love me and want to surprise me and want to respect me and honor me as the father that I am. Do it because it's an, an overflow of your heart and in the abundance I've given you as the fountain of living water. Jesus truly is our most awesome treasure. And he is the, the fountain that will never, ever run dry. He will always satisfy. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray together. <coughs> Father, we are so grateful that you are a good, good father, that you're a good daddy, that we can sit on your lap and we can just enjoy and delight in our father and what he's done. We thank you for what you've accomplished through Christ on the cross and in the power of the resurrection. God, you've given us what we need to be transformed and God, not just to be affirmed in our own status and our own wealth and our own position or external achievements, but God, to be transformed by the power of Jesus, that we would lay ourselves aside and and come to you empty, that you would fill us with a righteousness that is not our own and one that we could never, ever earn. We thank you for that. God, help us to treasure you. Help us to value you above all else, that we would not leave from this place sad because we have so much to lose, but rejoicing in joy because we have lost all things because of Christ and we have gained everything in him. We want to know you more, Jesus. Guide our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.